Hey everyone, this is Christ Presbyterian Church in New Haven with CPC Podcasts, and you're listening to The Sunday Sermon. This morning's Old Testament reading is Psalm 15, verses 1 through 5. O Lord, who shall sojourn on your ten- in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but whose honors, who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take the, a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. This morning's New Testament reading is Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 32. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self, creating after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, good morning. Welcome back, students. Good to see you all. There are some amazing, amazing treasures throughout Scripture. If you uh, have read the Bible or not, it is, it is amazing in its uh, clarity sometimes. Amazing in its clarity. Yes, amazing in its complexity also sometimes, but sometimes there are clear passages that just seem way too lofty. Like Jesus actually says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Or love your enemies, bless those who persecute you. Those are clear. You don't have to go to the Greek for those. But it's hard to know where to start. There are other passages that also seem clear, and then you read church history, and you think, 
What Bible were they reading? The British imperialists thinking that the missionary's task included you have to learn English and dress like an Englishman and act like an Englishman? What Bible were you reading? Well, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you take it, I think we have a passage here that in a hundred years we may have cultures looking back on ours and thinking, was this even in your Bible? I'm not sure we can hear these passages. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth. Let all bitterness and wrath and slander and clamor be put away. All malice. Can we even hear these ones? Of course, we're not going to just throw up our hands and go home early. And we're certainly not going to just follow the parts of the Bible that are much more easily heard in our culture. At least we're not going to try to. So, what are we to do? Well, I think, I think our only chance is try to get a sense of the pictures that Paul is painting for us. Because he at once is trying to get us to actually grow in our hatred of the ugliness of sin and become absolutely captivated by the beauty of righteousness and a life in Jesus. So we have to try and see what is the picture? What could it mean if we tried to hear this passage? Let's pray. Lord, we do cling and try to only cling to you as our wisdom and righteousness and redemption. And so we do ask that you would clear our hard hearts, that you would open them by the Holy Spirit, and that you would bring us truth and righteousness, and even comfort to know that you have called us to a narrow way, but a beautiful one, a one that needs your power to see us, to see it. And we do pray, Lord, that Jesus would be glorified as you form us in him. Amen. So we are in the second half of Ephesians 4. And we have some more therefores in our passage. Last week started with a therefore. And you always got to know what the therefore is there for. As I said, so again, we are looking at what ought to be true if you have in fact, as the gospel says, have been raised from the dead and seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. What could that look like? And but first, Paul reminds them from whence they have come. And so I want to spend the first bulk of our time looking at what does it mean to sort of grow in our disgust with the old self? 
What would it mean to hate what God hates? He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. He's writing to Gentiles, by the way. So that's interesting. Their transformation has become such that they are now one in Christ. So it's almost like they can't call themselves Gentiles anymore. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. What does it mean to have a futile mind? If you think of futile, you think vain. You should think of empty, purposeless, without any direction. You may think of Ecclesiastes. Right? All is vanity, vanity of vanities. It's not that they are doing no thinking. And of course, this is not just us versus them. It's not that we, in our sin, don't do any thinking. It's that the thinking is futile. It's empty. It's like Sisyphus who had to Move the rock up the hill over and over and over. He was doing a lot of hard work. And it was for naught. They were futile and darkened in their minds. And then we are told they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, corrupt, through deceitful desires. What does some of this mean? What does it mean to have a calloused heart? I have, I have a bit more calluses thanks to the New Year's resolution. Going to the gym a little more. A bit more calluses have started to grow. But what does it mean to have a calloused heart? Well, one of the, maybe one of the best sermons I've heard in person was, that, was by a guy named Joe Novenson out of Lookout Mountain, Tennessee. And he was preaching at our national denominational gathering, pleading on this very same passage, pleading with us Reformed folks to try and hear this passage. And he's an older guy now, and he has, he has gnarled hands from an accident, and he doesn't have feeling in them. And so he joked, he said, you don't want to sit next to me at a dinner because I might pass you a plate that is absolutely scolding and I can't feel it. Because you can't feel what you can't feel. This is a picture of people who have become numb to sin, and they're numb to the fact that they are numb. It's, it's, it's not that we don't feel anything, just like it's not that we don't think. It's not that we don't feel anything. It's that we don't feel what we don't feel. We have stopped caring 
We have been so caught up in our sin that we don't even know what it is. Right? It's, it's one thing to be blind. It's another thing to not even know that you are blind. It's as if the feeling is totally without any sense of control tossed to and fro as it was in the last passage, this, this picture of endlessly striving and not arriving ever. Forever searching and never finding what you're after. Running, 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 only to stand still. This is, of course, what our idols do to us. They demand more and more and more. And as the science of addiction gives amazing picture of, it will mean we need it more and more and more, only to feel less and less and less, only to still be caught up in the addiction and not even be able to know what satisfaction looks like anymore. It's a scary picture. So they have callous hearts. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This, this sort of endless striving. And, and then he says they have, we have become corrupt in our deceitful desires. Have you ever thought that your desires could be deceitful? Because that's Almost an oxymoron, I think, in a lot of our world, isn't it? Desires, we think, are our North Star, right? That's our moral compass. Do what you desire, and you will find life and happiness. And the Bible says that's actually slavery. That's actually totally giving yourself up to deceit. And if you think about deceit, similar to thinking about calloused hearts, when are you deceived? You're deceived when you don't know that you're deceived. I, when I was sick in bed last, a few months ago, I watched the old movie The Sting. This old mobster movie takes place in the 30s, Robert Redford, Paul Newman. Did you know Paul Newman acted before he sold salad dressing and cookies. For those who are younger, he didn't start out that way. He was an actor. And it's about this, really this long con. They are con artists. And they are going to pull this huge con where they set up an entire casino to con one man out of a huge amount of money. And everyone in the casino is in on it. Except one guy. And they get the guy there, and of course he thinks he has his own con. He thinks no one else realizes he's about to win a bunch of money. Because that's what it means to be deceived. You're in the dark and you don't know it. And you have hope. Hope. 
poor Sisyphus, not only is he doing a lot of work, I don't know if it's in the original Greek story, but I think this is a picture of Sisyphus with hope. He thinks maybe tomorrow I'll get it all the way up. And then, of course, this leads to being alienated from the life of God. Romans 12 says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. This is a picture that is worthy to abhor. And if you are on this train, as all of us struggle to be, if you are on this train, it is not enough to get up and just start running the other way while you're still on the same train. You have to get off the train. There has to be a totally new repentance a totally new change of life, such that Paul can say in our passage, you have totally put off the old human. It's the word anthropos. The old self is anthropos, the human. As if you have become utterly new. Because if, if you tarry till you're better, as the old hymn says, you will never come at all. If you wait, if you try to stay on that same train and just keep running backwards, you're not going to change the destination. So there's a lot, I think, that we are left to meditate on in what it would mean to grow in our own hatred of what God hates. But that certainly would be powerless without a contrasting picture of trying to love what God loves. We don't, Christ doesn't just say, die to yourself, although he certainly does say that. He says, die to yourself that you may have life. And so, Paul writes, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, having put on the new self or human created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Hallelujah, out of the ashes has come hope. A new human putting off the old, this is, this is clothing language. And maybe he's referencing there was this sort of elite Roman tradition, a coming-of-age ceremony where a young man would become a grown man and he would put on his toga and now he's an adult. Paul is saying, you have been raised from the dead. Stop acting like you're still in the grave. You have been set free from prison Stop acting like you still have shackles on. This is who you are now. And you can be renewed in the spirit of your minds. What is the spirit of our minds? It's not just what we think. It's how we think about what we think. You, you, 
It's a picture of this whole new approach to even how we think about what we think. It's a beautiful picture, right? You approach with a whole different posture. Last passage was humility and gentleness and patience and love. It's a whole new motivation to look at things. And then we are said, it is said we are created like in the, after the likeness of God. It's just to accord, you're created according to God. It doesn't say, it doesn't talk about Genesis 1, the image of God. It just says you're, you're supposed to be like God. In true righteousness and holiness. Therefore. All right, let's talk about some therefore. What ought it look like to be raised from the dead? Just going to look at two overall aspects. One is to love truthful speech and to love gracious behavior. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Lying to one another is lying not just to ourselves. We are members one of another. It's not just lying to ourselves. It is lying to Jesus himself. Paul, these, these statements like therefore and for we are members, these are blessed words because they give us reasons. We never have bald commands that just float out there God just happened to choose truth because he liked it. So speak truth to one another. No, it's because you are actually a new person in the new Adam, in the body of Christ. Therefore, you should be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. This is a strange one for some of us. Is he actually telling us to be angry? Yeah, he is. I think he's saying, though, in this context of of speaking truth and having put away falsehood, he's saying you speak in a way that wants to do something about the sin or the unrighteousness or the injustice. Lest you let it simmer and give an opportunity to the devil. I don't think we have to read this literal Like once the sun, don't, don't let the sun go down. And if you're in northern Canada, you have about two hours today to deal with your anger before the sun goes down. No, the point is, don't let it simmer. Speak truth. This is a hard one for me. I let things simmer. It is hard for me to be proactive and to speak truth. To be angry at sin. Now, of course, later in this very same passage, he says, put away all anger. That must be unrighteous anger. In this case, we're given a picture. There is righteous anger. You should speak in that case. Then he says, let no corrupting talk You may have heard it as no unwholesome talk. 
Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. That is as beautiful as seemingly impossible, isn't it? And in connection, he says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Jesus himself says something similar, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You speak, you say what you are. You act according to what you love. Jesus goes on and says, I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. And I hate to tell you, but this includes social media. And this includes politics. Because it certainly seems like we often act as if we can set these verses aside in certain parts of our life, right? We have certainly, and I think if you disagree, I'm not sure if you're even awake, we have certainly become calloused to these virtues. All bitterness... Put it away. Bitterness to us is a badge of honor. Isn't it? If you're not bitter or cynical, you're not cool. Malice? Can you imagine? If we were a church that every word we spoke was without any malice? Malice just meaning ill will, wanting, wanting evil, wanting something bad for the other person. We don't ever, ever have an excuse for wanting evil for another person. Even the grossest sinner in your life. You may want justice, sure. Repentance, yes, but that comes out in mercy, in pity. Lord, have mercy on this person, which is certainly not malice. Certainly not ill will. It's amazing that he's balancing here righteous anger, speaking the truth in love, was a few verses earlier, and every speech you make is without malice or bitterness or clamor, or slander. Dang. We are certainly, and this shouldn't really surprise us, we are certainly called to the impossible. So it should seem impossible. If it seems like an unbearable weight, then you are listening. Which is precisely why it comes by the new creation in Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't make it more possible. Don't lower the standard. Well, malice, a little bit. I don't have to cast it all out, do I? No, all of it. All gone. It's impossible. You cast yourself upon the mercies of Christ because only he can empower you to do that. 
So we love or are called to grow in our love for truthful speech and then gracious behavior. Take a breath. I need to take a breath. Loving, gracious behavior. Paul is almost riffing on the second half of the Ten Commandments here. In a couple of verses, chapter 5, we'll get to adultery. Here we see covetousness. We see bearing false witness. We see do not steal. Murder is aligned with anger. And so here he says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor. This is an amazing passage, right? First, he's writing to a church that apparently is so welcoming that thieves are a part of it. And then he imagines and encourages a touch of transformation that not only does the thief stop stealing, and not only does he start working for himself, but he works so that he may give his money away. Work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. That is a beautiful picture of transformation, isn't it? The thief has become a a philanthropist. And then more gracious behavior there at the end. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. I think it should probably be just being gracious to one another, which includes forgiveness, but doesn't limit it to that. As God in Christ was gracious to you. Be kind to one another. Kind is one of those words that really has lost its power to us. We, we, when I think of kindness, I think of, elementary school, like, make sure you share your toys and be kind. Which, sure, that's fine. We should encourage that. But God is kind. In his salvation, we are told he is kind. Kind is a big and powerful word, one of the fruits of the Spirit. Be kind to one another and tender-hearted. This is the beautiful picture that we are given. It's certainly a picture that we cannot accomplish by our own willpower or ingenuity, which is probably why Ephesians is so full of prayers. Because we have to simply cry out for the power of God to even hear this, let alone obey it. So it should seem impossible. But isn't it beautiful? Wouldn't this be so compelling to become a part of a community that lived this out? This is what we get to do in the church. To become the sorts of people that actually live this way. That there's no more malice That there's no more slander. In that case, the church would really stand out. Wouldn't it? Would really be distinct. Which it should be. Because we are told the church is the body of Christ. As he reigns in heaven, so may he reign now on earth in us. Amen. God, we 
know that we simply need to pray. In order to fight against our sin, in order to see it for what it is, to grow in understanding why it is so grotesque, and to be drawn to, be attracted to the righteousness and the beauty and the truth that you call us to. Lord, would you be mighty among us that we would treat one another as we are, which is one in Christ. Would we be gracious to one another as Christ has been so unbelievably gracious to us. We pray only, we could only dare to pray because of Christ and his work. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Sermon. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to subscribe to CPC Podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. If you liked this show, consider a five-star rating, share it with your friends, or write to us at podcast at cpcnewhaven.org.